In the past couple of weeks, the House passed the infrastructure bill. The Biden vaccine mandate was blocked by the appellate court, which then the White House violated. My name is Noah Huey, and this is Under the Stars. Welcome back. It's been quite a while since I've done a podcast. In fact, I'm I want to check and see the last time I did legitimately record a podcast. Um Goodness gracious, I don't want to see any news updates. Oh, which reminds me. Nope, it's already off. Um I haven't done a podcast in quite a while now. And uh I'll be quite honest with you, when looking over all the information for this episode, I don't feel like I've properly prepared for it either um for this one because a lot of the news i have is either old yeah i've not done a podcast in nearly two weeks but we're going to talk about this because there are a few interesting things that happened this week one of which isn't accurate anymore which i'm going to have to pull up um in its own separate thing actually let's pull it up like this um so yeah a few interesting things happened this week so let's go ahead and before i begin however i want to remind you to follow my instagram that's at huey noah that's at h-u-g-h-u-y-n-o-a-h that's at huey noah and to subscribe to under the stars on youtube to see the full video of the podcast would be greatly appreciated also would be greatly appreciated is if you checked out my merch and my books in the shop section of my website um talking about that i've got a limited edition line of three-year anniversary merch available now on my website so i wanted to uh if you're someone who's been following the show for the past three years, uh, I thought I'd give you a reminder to check it out. Um, to celebrate the three years of Under the Stars, if you use the promo card code three years UTS, that's three the number three Y E A R S U T S at checkout, you'll get a ten percent off uh, any purchase you make, including the anniversary three year anniversary merch. Um, the promo code and the anniversary line are only going to be available until December thirty first. So if that's something you're interested in. Uh, to support the show uh, and its milestone marker, I recommend checking that out um, before December 31st. So I, I don't remember if this was last week or the week before that. Uh, the the um, House passed the the initial 1.5, 1. 1. or maybe it's 1.2. It's a roughly $1 trillion infrastructure deal. This is from... November 6th, so I think only about a week ago. Yeah, last week. Um, so let's go ahead and get into this. So after months of tense negotiations, the House of Representatives have passed a $1 trillion uh, bipartisan infrastructure bill, uh, 228 to 206, fulfilling a major priority for President Biden's domestic agenda and cementing a political vil- victory for Democrats. Biden said Saturday that the vote was a monumental step forward and that he would sign the bill into law at this point this week. We did something that's long overdue, that has long been talked about in Washington, but never actually been done, he said, joking about that infrastructure week was finally accomplished. The measure includes significant investments in roads, bridges, railways, railways, and broadband internet. It passed late Friday, Friday night, 
let's see, late Friday last week night, largely along party lines with 13 Republicans joining 215 Democrats in support of the legislation. I want to see if there's, because there is some interesting um, revelations around that, that people have, um, no, there's nothing about that on there. Um, but the bill also saw six progressive Democrats vote against it because all the largest social spending measure failed to secure through the support um, for a floor vote on Friday. Biden also addressed that his Build Back Better agenda and predicted that the social spending bill, which has also been heavily debated along lawmakers, will pass through the House and the Senate. But he acknowledged that the likely outcome for the Senate to pass the bill solely with Democratic votes and that getting the entire party on board will be a process. Um, I'm not interested in that. The Build Back Better spending package originally had a price tag of roughly $3.5 trillion. So this was cut down a, a couple trillion dollars. Um, Democrats chose a process called budget... Recon- or I'm sorry, this is the budget reconciliation bill. Excuse me. Um, uh, the budget reconciliation to pass the package in the Senate without any Republican support, given the extremely narrow margin for the chamber. Every senator who, uh, who caucuses with Democrats has to be on board in order for the bill to survive. Um, here's a closer look at what's inside the infrastructure bill now that it heads to Biden's desk. Transportation. It includes roads, bridges, and major projects, about $110 billion. Passenger and freight rail, about $66 billion. Public transit, $39 billion. Airports, $25 billion. Port infrastructure, $17 billion. Transportation safety programs, $11 billion. Electric vehicles, $7.5 billion. Zero and low emission buses and ferries, $7.5 billion. Revitalization of communities, about $1 billion. Other infrastructure includes broadband internet, which is about $65 billion. This is in terms of dollars, by the way. Power infrastructure, which is $73 billion. Clean drinking water, uh, I guess across the nation, is $55 billion. Resilience and water shortage, water storage, $50 billion. And removal of pollution from water and soil, about $21 billion. So this bill is not the one that people are, that was cut from $3.5 trillion to about $1.5-ish trillion which is still needing to go through the Senate and the House to pass. This is the initial infrastructure bill that everyone had agreed upon from the beginning and that was kind of held hostage by multiple factions of multiple parties in order to, um, I guess, hold the Congress at an ideological stand, or at an ideological, yeah, standoff. Um, General, I'd have to say, I mean, given that this is the bill that everyone supports, I naturally I support it. This is the one, the um, I think I talked about it early on that um, has little to I think nothing in there that I don't support. The only thing that I always that I always wonder about, and this kind of kind of coincides with more conservative beliefs, is um, how we're going to take care of the price tag. Now, Democrats have constantly said we will do it, we'll do it, we will do it, but it never, ever, ever sounds like we have an actual plan. Um, so that's worrying just because there's never, I don't think I've heard once from a single member uh, uh, in power um, on the exact method in which we will be paying for all of this. However, um, I know that the United States is a, is a place that makes, is a country that makes quite a lot of money um, from multiple areas. You know, a lot of people, naturally Republicans are going to say that it's tax heaven um, for the Democrats, but I mean, to say that the majority of 1.5 trillion will just solely 150 million thousand percent is going to fall on a, on a new tax burden as if existing taxes don't somehow exist. Uh, I don't understand. But then again, the American people are not the brightest people in the world and are pretty easy to manipulate as we have proven in the last four years. Um, I mean, there's not much to say to, about this other than naturally I support it. Um, I think that all the provisions being covered in it 
are great. I think it's a, a good way to modernize the United States. And it's one of the big parts of Biden's agenda that I've that I've generally always been in support of. What I didn't like in, in the passage of this was uh, Democrats and Republicans, primarily Democrats, actually kind of going at each other over it uh, with progressive lawmakers wanting it to be more and more and more and more. Um, and this kind of falls down on the, along the same thing that I've talked about since the very beginning of like season three of this podcast, uh, in that y- people are so hell bent on getting the ideological utopia that they want that they're willing to sacrifice the uh, momentary success of a very popular infrastructure bill just to get that ideological utopia. That's that's the the strength of the delusion that has a hold on Washington and every last member in our Congress. Uh, within it. And uh, I, I think it's pitiful that um, we've got Republicans ostracizing Republicans for supporting it. And we've got Democrats who wouldn't support it because it wasn't the exact bill they wanted at the moment. I, I get that things can be urgent, but the problem is when you paint out you not getting what you would prefer as the end of the world, that's kind of pathetic. But the thing is, when you're in that deep of a denial that your ideology is not utopian and will not establish perfection all the time, no matter what it does, and you absolutely believe that you have to get absolutely everything you want in the exact way you want it at the exact time you want to get it, when you're in that deep of a denial that that isn't the case, really nothing anyone says matters because it doesn't matter how reasonable you are, uh, it, uh, it when you're in that deep of a delusion, you will never understand reason. I think there's a painting. I forget what it's called. It's I think it's called Re- When Reason Sleeps, something about monsters. I want to look at it um, because it's a very good... Um, monsters are, or was it monsters are born or come forth. It's Goya. Uh, the Sleep of Reason Produces Monsters. That's the name of it. Um, and that's quite true. Uh, and I would say that these monsters could be called delusion and, and, and denial and many of these other things that are very, 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 very prevalent within, um, within politics. And uh, so I think quite, quite uh, uh, succinctly, when reason sleeps, um, uh, you produce monsters. Or I've already misquoted it, but who cares at this point? Um, so yeah, generally I support it, but I hate the way that it ended up turning out, but that's likely going to happen. And it's likely going to happen with this, uh, uh, this other bill, the social spending bill. Um, I've said this before and I'll say it again. The social spending bill is kind of the Democrats as Democrats and Republicans always do when they hold power, (laughs) want to pass everything they possibly can with absolutely no... No, understand. Like they just want to use power to get everything they've ever wanted without any question into whether or not what they want is necessarily needed at the time. <laughs> and um, so they're not going to spend any time to really dig into the philosophy of it because they don't care. Because that's how political parties kind of operate. They just kind of assume everything that they like is good and has to happen right now or time is over or something. Um, and they just absolutely refuse to understand any other kind of understanding of the world. So there's really no point in talking about it. Um, the Biden vaccine mandate, which was referring to businesses that are... Let me just read it. Let me just read it. So the Biden vaccine mandate, Biden said... President Biden put into an, 
put into effect an order that essentially uh, stated that I believe it's major businesses with more than 100 um, uh, uh, employees were required to get um, mandates. Well, it's been battled in courts by conservative figures and Republican senators and so on over the issue. And uh, a court had recently... um, uh, Sorry, I'm trying to find the exact words. They were basically blocking it. Um, Earlier the week, uh, Paxton, referring to... um, a Republican Attorney General Ken Paxton of Texas um, sued the Biden administration over the mandate and argued that the same move to force workers at companies with over 100 employees to be vaccinated or undergo weekly testing is flatly unconstitutional. Biden's new vaccine mandate on private businesses is a breathtaking abuse of power, Paxton tweeted Friday. OSHA has only limited power and specific responsibilities. This latest move goes way outside both those bounds. This standard is flatly unconstitutional. I'm asking the court to strike it down. OSHA is giving employers with more than 100 employees a January 4th deadline to comply with President Biden's COVID-19 vaccine mandate and threatening thousands of dollars in fines for defiant businesses, according to to a fact sheet released from the White House Wednesday. The White House has stood by the mandate despite pushback from several Republican-led states and argued that the move is a workplace standard rather than a mandate. White House Deputy Press Secretary uh, Karine Jean-Pierre responded to a question uh, at a Friday press briefing about whether or not she is confident the mandate will stand up to legal challenges. Quote, we are very confident that it can, Jean-Pierre said. As for the legal side of this, let me be crystal clear to avoid what appears to be possible misinformation or disinformation about the emergency temporary standard being a a vaccine mandate. That would be on its face incorrect and has been explicit for months. It is a standard for safe workplace to either comply with weekly testing or to be vaccinated. Paxson spoke with Fox News Digital after the decision and said that uh, he is really pleased. Um, uh, Paxton added he believes the Biden administration will appeal the decision. Uh, so there's a, the piece right after this is talking about um, the way the Biden administration responded. And I believe there's actually been a newer development that I've yet to see. Um, first of all, this reaction, this specific reaction, I suppose, this Republican reaction to this uh, vaccine mandate is somehow uh, a gross overreach of power, I think is debatable constitutionally. But um, as we know, Republicans and Democrats will always uh, obscure uh, specific clauses of the Constitution to benefit their ideological prowess. Um, and, and ultimately political power. So ultimately, the Constitution doesn't mean jack squat to them um, because they will manipulate it in any way, shape, or form uh, possible to get their desired outcome. They, they really have no respect for the Constitution whatsoever, in my opinion, uh, generally speaking, of course. Uh, there's situational provisions, in which case that's not true. Uh, but generally speaking, I would say that's true. Um, but I think this reaction to this s- standard is... is uh, and immature reaction. The thing is, Republicans have to paint out that Biden is a dictator and a tyrant, yet simultaneously a complete moron. And they, they've cleverly actually done this by saying that he's a moron, but that there are people behind the scenes pulling the levers. 
Um, and so they have to paint him out as a dictator that wants to destroy everybody's freedoms and everybody's security so that uh, they can ascertain more power or something. The thing is, that's not entirely false in terms of the way ideologies function uh, in, a, in a government setting. However, they what they always, always, always fail to accept is that that is basically true across the board with ideologies in general. Um, because when you think, when you truly think that your ideology is the epitome of all things good, noble, and rational in the world, you're not capable of saying that maybe you can overreach on people's freedoms and securities uh, when you're trying to pass your ideological wish list and get things done. However, this specific issue is not just about ideologies and ideological wish lists. This is about public safety. Um, while the coronavirus pandemic uh, is slowly, slowly waning, and I mean incredibly slowly waning, um, there's still something to, to worry about. And, and, and while, it, while, it, while it has always been true that uh, the, the virus has been more deadly for some people than it has been for others, um, I think to say let's do absolutely nothing because of that fact is a highly childish and immature understanding of public health and public health policy. I think that um, this requirement is not... The thing is, it you look at it in a different light when you understand it from different perspectives. When you think of it as this is all tyranny and this is the act of a, of a despot who wants to overrule freedom for individual citizens so that the government may withhold more power, you then of course you're going to be against it. But when you think of this as a public safety measure and this is the government's best way to help protect the most vulnerable citizens, which is ultimately should always be your goal in terms of public health policy related to COVID-19, to COVID-19 in my opinion, um, I think that that really changes the perspective. And the thing is, Republicans rely on people to look at this as tyranny, not as um, fear and fear driving policy to ensure that, that the most vulnerable are safe. Instead, the Republican Party, in terms of COVID-19, I feel, has adopted this kind of ridiculous, um, um, let's just do whatever we want and cross our fingers and hope it turns out well, which I get, that's kind of always been the party line with Republicans. Um, that's how they, how they kind of come at um, economics. It's free markets, capitalism, like pure capitalism in every form it can be. Um, so in terms of economics, they kind of approach things that way. But that's, I think, a terrible way to approach anything ever. Um, um, because, the, I mean, ultimately, there are no rules to anything. People like to pretend there are rules to life and that things have to turn out one way or another. They don't. Stop making up these stupid beliefs about the world when there are absolutely no guardrails to life. There are absolutely none. There are hardly any, if, if any at all. And so I think this concept that we have to just do whatever we want, whenever we want, however we want it, and things will turn out the way they're supposed to, I think that's a really worthless view of the world. And I think that that basically gives a fat middle finger to people who are going to be immunocompromised and, and, and to people who, whose vaccine effects are waning down. And people talk, I want to talk, I want to talk about that. Um, you know, people are arguing about vaccine stuff in terms of COVID-19 and are like uh, vaccine uh, efficacy is like wanes over time. And people go, oh, this is all part of a big plan to get 15 million boosters. There's no plan. There is no plan. Nobody's sitting in a dark room rubbing their hands together. And I can't wait to vaccinate the world five times over and make them, I don't know, 
do the boogie or something at 5 a.m. and there's nothing they can do to stop me. <laughs> there's no, there is no plan. There is no deep state. There's nobody rubbing their hands together trying to control you. That's a myth made up by politicians sold to idiots like Americans so that they can get elected because they know you're stupider than... Oh, well, stupider actually is a word. I forget about that. Because they know you're stupider than they are. I don't even know if that's the correct use of it. That's a, that's, a, that's a minor contingency I have with the world. That stupider is a word. I absolutely despise that fact. Um, but there's, there is no, there's no plan. I mean, when it comes to vaccines, the reason it wanes is because we had to quickly rush their production. And the thing is, it was either that or just let people die. And I, I, I think that the right choice was made. Operation Warp Speed was a massive success. And the vaccine rollout plan has been generally successful. And I think that's great. And I think this booster thing, I think it's worth waiting right now. But... Um, I think if you truly feel that getting a booster would be helpful, I, I don't see why not. But you don't just do what you're told when you're told and how you're told to do it. Do what makes sense. However, however, there's a point in which we know enough to know what we should do at the present moment. And so when you look at a move like this in the, in the, in the context of, oh, it's all tyranny and despotism and people are trying to vac vaccinate you five times over so that you'll bow down to our Lord and Savior Bill Gates or something stupid like that that some QAnon troll made up on the internet. Um, some loser who has absolutely no relevance to anything important to the world. The internet's awful. Um, I think it really creates this mindset in gullible, stupid American voters who, who believe in these types of things, which is very, 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 very common in Americans. Americans are not an intelligent populace thanks to a completely useless public education system. But when you look at it into the context of, well, we've got this data on how vaccines do and do not work, and we have a certain understanding of how we would want, we'd like to do this. I think that the move makes sense to to get as many people vaccinated as possible. Now, of course, if there are certain restrictions that must come up, I understand that. But I think the argument of I should do what I want doesn't necessarily hold as much ground in this specific situation. Stop generalizing people's views, by the way. That's a really stupid thing you could possibly do. Um I think in this very specific instance that, that that I get to do what I want when I want and how I want to do it and there's nothing you can do to stop me, I think that's a reckless move. I think more evidence says that that doing that that requiring this would help speed up this process until uh, more permanent vaccines can be created, which inevitably will happen, but as we know, vaccine research takes quite a while to to execute su successfully. So I think this move is not as is not as demonic as Republicans paint it out to be. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong, but I just don't see the the prerogative here. I, I don't see the deep state rubbing its hands together. I, I just see people trying to come up with strategies on how to to slow the spread of this virus, which is constantly mutating and infecting more uh, immunocompromised people and ultimately killing people. And if, if that doesn't matter to you, then you're just a bad person. There's nothing else I can say about that. However, I will respect the decision of the court, which is something apparently the White House decided not to do. No, I'm not going to watch your podcast. So the White House told businesses to proceed with the vaccine mandate despite the court-ordered pause. 
The White House on Monday, this previous Monday, said businesses should move forward with President Biden's vaccine and testing requirements for private businesses, despite a federal appeals court ordering a temporary halt to the rules. People should not wait, White House Dep- Deputy Press Secretary Karine Jean, excuse me, Karine Jean-Pierre told reporters during a briefing, quote, they should continue to move forward and make sure they're getting their workplace vaccinated, end quote. The U.S. Court of Appeals for the Fifth Circuit, considered one of the most conservative appellate courts in the country, halted the requirements on Saturday pending review, writing that the petitions give cause to believe that there are grave statutory and constitutional issues with the mandate. The Republican attorneys general in Texas, Louisiana, Mississippi, South Carolina, and Utah, as well as several companies, requested the pause. They argued that the requirements exceeded the authority of the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, which will enforce the mandates and amount to unconstitutional delegation of power to the executive branch by Congress. In its response Monday evening, the Biden administration asked the court to lift the pause, dismissing the states and companies' claims of harm as premature, given that the deadlines for vaccination and testing are not until January. The administration claimed that pausing the requirements would likely cost dozens or even hundreds of lives per day as the virus spreads. The Labor and Justice Department also argued that OSHA acted within its authority as established by Congress. The court-ordered pause came a day after the requirements went into effect, starting the countdown for businesses with 100 or more employees to ensure that their staff have received the shots for full vaccination by January 4th. After that date, unvaccinated workers must submit a negative COVID-19 test weekly to enter the workplace. All unvaccinated workers must start wearing face masks indoors at their workplace starting December 5th. Um, Republican attorneys general in at least 26 states have challenged Biden's vaccine and testing requirements in five different U.S. appeals courts since the last Friday. The Republican National Committee said it also challenged the requirements in the D.C. Court of Appeals. I wanted to see. I thought there was... Um, a new vaccine mandate uh, development in that story. So I'd like to double check just to make sure. Um, tickets in uh, Florida special session. Um, let's say, excuse me. Let's say appeals court. Okay, so this is still. I don't think that. I don't think this has changed until just recently. Okay, just making sure because I thought I had saw something that said that this had been resolved in some way or some form. Now, this is interesting to me. Because, like I said, I will respect the decision of the court, even though I, I generally agree with the White House's reasoning here. Um, however, I, I will respect the, the court, because that's why we have multiple appellate, appellate courts, and that's why the legal system can be a bit drawn on, because when you can get multiple insights, and so I'll respect that. However, the Biden administration's decision to say, and the thing is, I don't know if this is, I know that it's really more of a, a recommendation but it kind of made me think about um, President Andrew Jackson. Um, the courts, he, he was trying, well, it wasn't him, really. It was really, well, no, it was him because he wanted to move Native Americans from their um, territories, from their, the areas that had been marked out for, Na- for the Native American nations. I believe it was specifically the Cherokee um, and uh, for another Native American nation, I don't remember the name. Of. It may have just been the Cherokee. Is in Georgia. Um, G- laws have been passed in Georgia and and Virginia, I believe. 
and the Supreme Court had ruled in them and said, um, uh, basically, uh, uh, those laws were did not apply because of the fact that those areas were laid out for the Cherokee Nation and and uh, the other Native American nation I can't think of the name of in Virginia. Um, uh, as established by the treaties that were signed with those nations uh, during uh, kind of in the col- uh, colonization period plus the revolution by former presidents. But Andrew Jackson at the time wanted to, it was the Relocation Act. Andrew Jackson wanted to move those Native Americans out, Trail of Tears style, to these Western settlements to kind of push them out of the way so that I, I forget what it was for actually. I think he just didn't. He just didn't like him. Uh, that's kind of that was kind of always Andrew Jackson's thing. Really, was just kind of like, let's destroy the Native Americans because they're brown. I guess. <laughs> I mean, uh, that, that he, I mean, and he was a champion for that. And people loved him for that. And so he's kind of like, let's move them. But the courts, I think it was just. I think was it Marshall? I think it was Chief Justice Marshall was still the Chief Justice at the time. Said no. We clearly stated in. Cherokee Nation versus Georgia and something versus Virginia or something like that. Uh, we established between these two court cases that that is blatantly illegal. And basically, Jackson said, and this is purportedly said that we have no real evidence whether or not this was actually words uttered by the former president, but he did. He re- purportedly said, uh, uh, Marshall has made his choice. Um, now let him enforce it. Or, yeah, I think it's now let him enforce it. Yeah, now let him enforce it. And this kind of, uh, Jackson being the first Democratic president kind of makes it a little ironic, like fierce, purely founder of the Democratic Party. Um, But it kind of makes it a little ironic. And and I thought about that to a lesser extent, naturally, but I thought about that a little bit where the White House kind of said, who really cares what the courts think? I'm the president. And that's an interesting thing that I, you know, when I, when I, when I learned about that specific incidence in history, I was like, how come that never really sparked this long conversation on what happens if the president just doesn't do what the courts say he has to do or, or she? Um, and I think this is the second time really from, and I'm trying to think back now to anything I've, I remember from U.S. history, um, from kind of my understanding of U.S. history, I, I don't feel like that ever really sparked a long debate. The world just kind of shrugged its shoulders and watched as Native Americans were eviscerated on this trail of tears uh, from their rightful land, from their rightful territory. Um, and I think that uh, th- that this kind of poses a similar question, not the same one, it's certainly not the same parameters <coughs> to this uh, issue. But I think it sparks a similar concept in that when the White House wants something, what happens if it just decides the courts don't matter? And the thing is, this gets me at a crossroads because while I respect the opinion of the court, uh, I do agree with the reasoning of the White House that this move is not that radical. Again, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there is a better way to do it. Maybe it should be left up to individual states or, or local provinces, etc. But I think that, I think, I feel like the... Uh, issue demands it, demands that we take efforts such as these. But when you believe that this is all giant conspiracy to microchip people, even though you cannot physically fit the smallest microchip made by human beings down the needle of a syringe, but let's gloss over that part like we always do, uh, or or whatever conspiracy you want to believe about vaccination, who cares? You're all wrong. Um, even though I agree with the White House, and I feel like that this is 
a pretty reasonable move to take uh, at this latest stage in the pandemic to try and keep it from extending into a third year of, of continued pandemic fears. Um, I'm, I don't know. I'm kind of at a crossroads. Um, I think me being sort of a man of the law, I would, I would have to say I feel the Biden administration, even so much as uttering that they should just move on with the, with the, uh, not the policy. Well, yeah, with the policy, um, despite the fact that the court has ordered for it to stop, I think is, um, reckless. Now, of course, again, this policy, it's not like a thing that I'd think you could, Republicans may try and push a vote to impeach Biden over this. I think you likely could. You could make a very, you could make a reasonable enough argument to try and impeach Biden over this issue. Um, it would be hard, but you could try. I'll tell you this, in a Republican-controlled Congress, Biden would probably be under an impeachment investigation for this. Um, but the thing is, it's not necessarily a policy. We'd have to see if the Biden administration will act on the policy. Let's say, for instance, that this um, that this pause on the requirement continues into January. Well, let's say the Biden administration says, we need you to start. We're not seeing any negative COVID tests from people who haven't been vaccinated. Where are our fines? Now, if the Biden administration acts on this rather than just continues to say, hey, you should still vaccinate people, um, uh, that I would be more would be a more blatant denial of the court's ruling, which is something that quite clearly I would say is is, is breaking the rule of law, um, which, again, I, I'll, I'll respect it, even, even if I, I think that this is a reasonable move and that pausing this on constitutional. I think I think my issue with it is pausing it on constitutional grounds. I don't quite understand. I, I truly I mean, with what amateur limited understanding of the Constitution that I have, I feel that um, there's not much to, to really to say. I, I don't quite understand it, but I'll accept the, the court's rulings and um, maybe I'll, I'll even um, uh, not skim over it, kind of go over it in, in a more uh, in-depth setting um, to try and understand the situation a little bit better. But because currently I, I don't quite understand the prerogative going on here. Um, so I don't know. I, I, that's really kind of my, my takeaway on that is that I, I don't know. Um, uh, I think I, I'll tell you this. I think it's reckless. I think the Biden administration should have just shut up and moved on and, and made their argument to the court and, and, and tried and defended themselves rather than saying, well, whatever, who cares? Businesses continue to do what we say. Cause I think that really paints a bad image. Even if, even if I think that you're right, I think the problem is when you, when you're right, but nobody cares, and you're like, well, since you're not going to agree with me, I'm just going to use my boot and slam it on your neck, and that'll make you do what I want. It won't matter if you're right or not, because when you have to use the the boot of government to force the world to do what you want, even if it's justified, I think that paints a really bad image and will end up hurting that cause. Um, and I think we see that multiple times. I mean, the French Revolution is a very big example of what happens when you use your, the boot of government to force good things under the people. People don't like it, especially when you want to force it in specific ways. Now, this is a uh, not a similar situation, but I think it holds similar sentiments. And I think if we're not careful, uh, it could be really disastrous for the Biden administration and for the cause of getting vaccinated, which I think you should do. I think vaccines are fine. Even if they're not permanently good, I think it's okay and I think it's safe to do so because I think, and I think it's necessary to do so because for people who are immunocompromised and are at a higher risk, 
since the vaccines aren't permanent, the people who who may infect them could, I mean, we're talking life-threatening, we're threatening the people's, the lives of people who are not as well protected on top of the fact that the vaccine efficacy seems to go down over time, but also on top of the fact that they have immunocompromisation. I think it's it's a matter of protecting those people uh, and vulnerable people uh, to do so. And I think not doing so is a highly reckless thing um, to do. Just a, another quick reminder, uh, follow my Instagram, that's at Huey Noah, that's at H-E-G-H-E-Y-N-O-A-H, that's at Huey Noah, and to subscribe to Under the Stars on YouTube, that's uh, Under the Stars with Noah Huey on YouTube, um, you get the full, there you can see the full video of the episode, so that's worth checking out if you want to actually watch the podcast as opposed to listen to it on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or Google or, or wherever you listen to it. Um, and if you'd like, you can support my show through my merch and my books and the shop section on my website, which includes my limited edition line of three anniversary merch, which is, avail- which is available right now. And uh, to celebrate three years of Under the Stars, if you use the promo code three years UTS, that's number three, the number three Y E A R S U T S at checkout, you'll get 10% off of any purchase, including the three year old, three year anniversary merch or any regular merch you want to get. Uh, this promo code and the anniversary line are only going to be available until December 31st. So if that's something you're interested in, make sure to get it before the end of the year because that will be the end of it. Our final piece of news. This, uh, this podcast is going to be relatively short. I'm okay with that, though. This Our final piece of news, however, is uh, a recent revelation in the January 6th thing. In the January 6th um, investigation. Uh, former President Donald Trump cannot stop the National Archives from complying with the January 6th committee's investigation. Actually, before, maybe this is something I saw on the news. January 6th investigation. I think maybe I saw this on the news. So before I say this, I want to make sure I'm ha- I have all the accurate information because I didn't look before I... Um... Okay, no, no, this is correct. Just making sure. Former President Donald Trump cannot stop the National Archives from complying with the January 6th committee's investigation, a federal judge ruled on Tuesday. Plaintiff does not acknowledge the deference owed to the incumbent president's judgment. His position that he may override the express will of the executive branch appears to be premised on the notion that his executive power exists in perpetuity. The U.S. District Judge Tanya Chutkin, or excuse me, Chutkin wrote in the ruling, but presidents are not kings and the plaintiff is not president. He retains the right to assert that his records are privileged, but the incumbent president is not constitutionally obliged to honor that assertion. Trump's resounding defeat was not unexpected, but the ruling is also not the final word in this matter. Trump's lawyer, Jesse Binall, has already filed a notice of appeal to the U.S. Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia Circuit. Judge Chutkin made no secret last week how she viewed Trump's legal argument that the committee's subpoenas served no legislative purpose. The January 6th riots happened in the Capitol, Chutkin said on November 4th. That is literally Congress's house. Despite her broad skepticism toward the legal arguments of Trump's lawyer, Justin Clark, the judge also appeared to be concerned about the scope of the requests, some of which she described as alarmingly and unbelievably broad. Judge Chutkin wrote on Tuesday that while broad, these requests and each of the other requests made by the committee do not exceed the committee's legislative powers. Three facts undergird this this conclusion, the judge added, before recounting those facts at length. I won't read this. Um, 
they denied the plaintiff's request to enjoin defendants from enforcing or complying with the select committee's August 15, 2021 requests because the plaintiff is unlikely to succeed on the merits of his claims or suffer uh, irreparable harm and because of a balance uh, of the equities and public interest bear against his granting of his request relief, Judge Chutkin concluded. Um, this kind of goes back again to this long, long drawn out story that I've been weaving since Trump, um, since roughly 20, late 2019, early 2020 of Trump's kind of, even when he's right, he's wrong character in which, oh, excuse me, this is breaking news. I'm going to interrupt this real quick. This is breaking news. Um, this is from USA Today. Steve Bannon, former President Donald Trump's political strategist, was indicted by a grand jury on Friday on two charges of criminal contempt for defying a House subpoena. The Department of Justice's decision to charge Bannon came after the House committee investigating the January 6th insurrection at the Capitol subpoena Bannon and others for documents and testimony about what led to the riot. Since my first day in office, I have promised to Justice Department employees that together we will show the American people by word of deed that the department adheres to the rule of law, follows the facts and the law that pursues equal justice under the law, Attorney General Merrick Garland said in a statement announcing the indictment. Today's charges reflect the department's steadfast commitment to these principles. A criminal prosecution is a more serious escalation than the House's civil enforcement of subpoenas during the wide-ranging investigation of the Trump administration. Such prosecutions are rare, and typically a settlement is negotiated to avoid them, according to nonpartisan Congressional Research Service report. Litigation could take months or years. Bannon, 67, is charged with one contempt count involving his refusal to appear for a deposition and another involving his refusal to produce documents, despite a subpoena from, from the House committee. An arrangement date hasn't yet been set in the U.S. District Court. Each count carries a minimum of 30 days and a maximum of one year in jail, as well as a fine of 100 to $1,000. Bannon, who didn't work for the executive branch at the time it was in contact with Trump in the days leading up to the attack of January 6, Bannon's lawyers told the committee in a letter October 7th that Trump instructed him not to cooperate because the former president would fight disclosure under executive privilege, despite Bannon not working for the government. Okay, so that's kind of interesting, and it kind of ties in with this. Trump's denial, his defiance of this committee's work, um, paints out the same image of Trump that um, I kind of learned about and kind of solidified in my research of the of his presidency for my book *Maga: The Trump Experiment*. The conclusion I kind of came to about Trump's character, from an amateur perspective, was that he's got this very narcissistic, egotistical understanding of the world, and that, and it's kind of started like hitting a huge like. Like hit this understand his understanding of the world hit this massive ego like its peak when people started calling him like the next Abraham Lincoln and the savior of America and these other such things, and so I think in his kind of delusion of his under this delusional understanding of the world that he's adopted in which he believes he is the savior of America and that any attempt to make him look bad is just an attempt by a a deep state plotting to destroy him and to destroy the freedoms of the American people. I think that that understanding is not only entirely wrong, I think that it's um, a, a blatant delusion. And I think that his denial of his denial to these people investigating his um, actions and the actions surrounding him and his administration involving the January 6th riot on the Capitol 
says one of two things. Either he is guilty of something and he knows it and he's trying to hide it because he doesn't want to be put in jail or, or he's not guilty and he just doesn't want to look bad. Because I found that either one can be true. And it's really sad and it's a reason why I would never vote for Trump so long as my life, so like in my life, because it doesn't matter how good of a businessman you are, how well some of your policies span out. When you've got that understanding of the world, that you are perfect, you are the savior of America, and any attempt to make you look bad, even when it's justified and even when the facts say that it's right, is just a deep state ploy. It's like this weird conspiracy theory of, of, of big government or something. When that's your understanding of the world, then you don't deserve to hold power. And... Trump absolutely functions on that understanding of the world. And I think that his defiance of the January 6th select committee is a sign of his denial that he can do wrong, that he can be mis that he can have a misjudgment of character, that he can be reckless. And I think so long as he refuses to at least admit that he can be reckless, let alone um, perhaps even malignant to a certain extent, is pathetic. And I think it really shows that that it's not reason and empathy that he that he uh, uh, believes in as a former president of the United States. It's power, control, and ultimately ideology and ideological utopia that he believes in. It's the pure power of of his party and of himself as the leader of that party, as that sort of populist. Um, I am the center of the world type of leader that he is. And while it's important to remember that about him, his current actions leave this broad question open on whether or not the Trump administration and Trump himself is to blame directly for the riot that nearly toppled the democracy, uh, toppled our republic as it stands. And the thing is, Again, it's kind of tying back to the first thing, tying back to the, the way people treated the infrastructure bill. When people are so when people are so entrenched in the delusion of their ideological supremacy supremacy, excuse me, basically nothing is ever going to convince them that that they aren't all good and that they shouldn't hold all power and that any attempt to investigate them isn't some kind of attack on their um, authority or something on their character. Ultimately, people who believe in these entrenched delusions of supreme of supreme of supremacy can't be convinced otherwise. Um, they have to hit a point of ideological breakdown. They have to be forced into a corner, and it's sad because sometimes people don't recover from these instances. But when people believe such ridiculous nonsense about themselves and their party and their ideology. We have no real choice as a people but to force them into a corner. And I think that that's what this committee is attempting to do. And I hope it's successful because maybe Trump will learn something from it for once. And if he did, I would probably respect him um, a whole, a whole lot more than I do now. And I, I don't know. It's an interesting thing. And I'm interested, I truly am interested to see if we're going to say that he directly is to blame for this. Like, the committee has been tiptoeing around him for months on end now. But I think I think we're getting to the point where it's time we just figure out the truth. And I think Trump's defiance of the courts and of... Not the courts. Defiance of the committee 
and of all attempts to get information just to see the truth, whether or not it's in his favor, really paints a bad image of him. And it really highlights his character, not just as a politician, but as a person who believes that he is the all-good messiah of America. He's the savior of America. And that there is nothing you will ever do to take his his status as that new republic, that new Lincoln, this, the 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 um, hero of our of this delusional story of politics. I think that he really that kind of exemplifies that character trait in him, and that's why I'm confident in saying that about his character because this isn't the first time he's done this about something that goes after him. It's been multiple times throughout his presidency and in his post presidency in which he has absolutely refused to give anyone any cooperation when it involves his character. And because he knows that if his character is admonished, he won't get power, which tells me by virtue of the fact that he, he does this so often and that he is so defiant in these ways that he values power over the truth. And it's that is not a quality I'm going to support in a person. And I, I think it should be condemned outright. And... Um, Despite all this, however, uh, I have faith the committee will continue to do its work the way it's supposed to, and I have faith that the ultimately the truth will come out one way or another. I mean, everything comes out in the wash. So um, I still have optimism about this. I, I just think that it's important to note at times the true character of a man like Trump, um, especially when he's teetering on whether or not he's going to try and take back the Oval Office he lost last year. Because people like him, I don't think, deserve to hold power because they view power as a means with which to enforce their ideological supremacy and in his case specifically to enforce his supremacy as a figure of public interest in the American society. And I think that's not a person we want to hold the vessel, to have any control, I mean, over the vessels of power in the American hierarchy. Um, and I think it's important that we uh, keep that in mind, not just around elections, but as we view and, and kind of take a, an understanding of these things. That's just my two cents. So, um, yeah. Well, that's it. That's everything that I wrote down. Um, sorry for mismanaging this episode so poorly, but I, I'm glad I got to talk about something and mention a few things for you. Uh, one last time, I want to remind you to follow my Instagram. That's at Huey Noah. That's at H-E-G-H-E-Y-N-O-A-H. That's at Huey Noah. And to subscribe to my, uh, to Under the Stars on YouTube to view full podcast episode video, um, the whole hour, nothing taken out or anything, um, as well as my favorite clips that I usually try and get over the weekend, um, from the podcast, which air the week after the podcast has come out. Also support my show if you're interested through my merch or my books in the shop section of my website. It'd be greatly appreciated. Um, and I have a limited edition line of three-year anniversary merch available now. If you use the promo code three years UTS, that's the number three Y E A R S U T S at my checkout, you'll get ten percent off of any purchase, including the three-year anniversary line. Um, and that's to celebrate three years of Under the Stars this year. The promo code and the anniversary line are only going to be available until December thirty-first. So if you're interested in checking out either of those things, make sure to do so before the end of the year, and then it'll be gone forever. Thanks so much for listening in. It's been a pleasure having you, and I can't wait to see you again next week. Hopefully. <laughs> see, I'll see you then. Bye-bye.